I'm going to be continuing our series on the book of James, a blueprint for living faith, and that's exactly what this book is all about. In fact, it's a it's a letter, as we learned, a letter written to all of Jesus' followers scattered throughout the nations. And for that reason, it's written to a people who already knew Jesus. They, they knew about Jesus, they knew of his teachings, and as Pastor Simon mentioned to us last time, uh, James draws on Jesus' teachings from the Sermon on the Mount in particular. And so for that reason, this is a letter written um, not trying to explain new concepts or new ideas. It's not trying to explain new theological concepts. Its purpose instead is to take what we already know and then challenge how we live. And that's exactly what the book of James does. It pushes us and pushes Jesus' followers to take that next step. And one of the, the themes that you'll see all throughout this book is that God wants us to read and hear his message of grace and truth. But then once we've heard it, he wants us to act upon what we've learned. And so Pastor Simon described this idea to us last week by saying people who know Christ should act like they know Christ. And that's the challenge that the book of James poses to us. People who know Christ should act like they know Christ. It's asking us, do our actions reflect the fact that we have a transformed life? And I'm going to step through these verses in James 1, verses 19 to 27. I'm picking up where Pastor Simon left off last week. And as we read these next few verses, personally, I don't think there's a more needed message in the church today. Let's have a read. James 1, 19 to 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. James is saying here, everyone needs to be quick to listen and slow to open their mouth. This is a much needed message because right now, in our world, everybody thinks that they have the answers. Everyone thinks that their way is the best, and so everybody wants to tweet their thoughts. Everybody wants to write something profound on Facebook. Everybody wants to comment after every single article that they find on the internet with their opinion on it. And it comes down to everyone just, I think, wanting to have their voice to be heard, but also their opinion to be made known. And often that's without taking the time to think things through. And so James tells us here, to do the opposite, actually. He says, instead of being quick to form an opinion on something, we should be quick to listen. This means be a good listener. Be a good listener so that you can hear the whole story. Try to maybe understand the other person's point of view. Be a good listener so that we can hear the whole story. Be a good listener so that we can gather all the facts. Make an informed decision about something. And hand in hand with being quick to listen is being slow to speak. Controlling your words instead of just blurting out the first thing that comes to mind. Because our words have power. And if you were here for our parable series, you would have heard me speak about the parable that Jesus gave on a tree and its fruit. And that's all about the words that we say and the power that words have. Words have the power to build up or to tear down, to heal or to hurt. And so for that reason, we need to be careful with the words 
that we say. And when we blurt out the first thing that comes to mind, we're probably going to offend someone. Our words that are not chosen carefully have the power to hurt people. But when we take the time to choose our words carefully, I think it does show actually a care for the other person. You know, if you're more interested in revealing the truth of a situation, I think you're willing to hear both sides of the argument. You're willing to listen to what other people have to say. You're willing to choose your words carefully rather than just adding your own opinion into the mix. And so James links our words with how we express anger. He says, along with being quick to listen and slow to speak, we should also be slow to become angry. And over the past two weeks, we've seen how James, he talks about trials and temptations. And Pastor Simon covered off over the last two weeks about how the people James is writing to are facing trials and temptations. And I really feel James saying here, I know life isn't easy. I know you're facing lots of trials and temptations, but don't let those things get you riled up so easily. And I get it. I totally get it. There is lots and lots of stuff to get angry about. You know, there's so much stuff that's just wanting to push your buttons. And, you know, I think about how unstable the world is. I think about, you know, hearing about the latest COVID outbreaks every single day, thinking about the impacts that trade wars have on Australian industries. On top of that, there's just so many stresses in our personal day-to-day -day lives. There's people dealing with family breakdown. There are people struggling to pay their mortgages. And these things, they create stress. They create fear in us. And on top of that, again, I think we all have these personal desires, things that we feel we're not getting maybe, you know, looking um, at our relationships and thinking that we're not satisfied with them. Or perhaps looking at other people's lives on Facebook and feeling like we're missing out on what's happening because we see all the fantastic photos that they're putting up. And all of these stresses, all of these fears, and all of these personal desires, they come together and sometimes they just make you want to explode. But James is saying, slow down, take things in, don't express yourself so quickly. Because that anger doesn't accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. That anger doesn't put you in a right standing with God. Anger, James says, does not produce a godly righteousness. What God wants us to do instead is this. He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that's planted in you, which can save you. We, what we need to do instead is receive with a humbleness the word that is already planted in us. You know, listen to the word of God. Put aside all those other things that are fueling our anger, all those things that are drowning out God's voice. And instead, take the time to read God's word and really listen to what it has to say. Let it soak in. Let it implant itself in you. Because as those last words there say, the word planted in you can save you. And that's a reference to the fact that in God's word, we find the source of abundant and eternal life. 
That's Jesus. In God's word, we find Jesus. We discover who Jesus is. And it's in God's word for that reason that we are reminded that we are loved. It's in God's word that we're reminded of how much we've been forgiven. It's in God's word that we discover that we have a plan and a purpose in this world. We're reminded that actually in the end, everything turns out all right. And when those things are implanted in us, our anger is replaced with peace. And we're given this clarity, this supernatural clarity in the midst of confusion and chaos. On the other hand, we don't find those things in ourselves. We don't find the source of abundant and eternal life in our own impulsive and often selfish emotions. We don't find those things in ourselves. But then this is where James really starts to push us forward. And if you weren't feeling like you were pushed already, he goes on to say this. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't be satisfied with just knowing what's written in God's word. Do what it says. So it goes from hearing to doing. And if you're just a hearer, then you're deceiving yourself. And it's this idea that people have sometimes where they think that being godly, being Christ-like is all about just knowing what's written in the word of God, knowing what's written in the Bible. And I've met people who can quote verse after verse. They've done all the Bible studies. Their knowledge of what's written in the Bible actually just blows me away. But James asks, what have you actually done? Because if you haven't done anything, then you're deceiving yourself. And the Bible talks about Satan as being the great deceiver, about how all lies come from him. And here, James is saying, actually, you can deceive yourself too. And I honestly believe Satan is thrilled when Christians pack out church services and then walk out and do nothing. You know, but still feel like they've accomplished something James is saying here, if that's the case, then you are deceiving yourself. You're doing Satan's job for him. And so James challenges us to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And this is a huge theme in the book of James. You'll see it all throughout the book. This theme is repeated again and again. And James is challenging us to stop talking, start hearing the word of God, let it implant itself in you, and then act on it. And he continues on this same theme by giving this illustration. He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I really like this, actually, because here we get an analogy for God's word, and it's a mirror. And just like a physical mirror shows you a reflection of your face, God's word is a mirror that shows you a reflection of the kind of person that you are. A mirror will show you the flaws in your face, and the Bible will show you the flaws in your heart. But James says, if you're someone who hears the word and doesn't do anything, You're like the person who looks in a mirror and then totally forgets what they look like. And I think what James is saying here is, well, what's the point? 
You know, the whole point of looking in the mirror is so that you can see your own reflection. But if you're not even going to remember what you looked at, what is the point? If you're going to read the Bible, if you're going to go to a Bible study, if you're going to attend a church service and then not act on what you've learned, not act on those things that you've been convicted about, if there's no actions, no doing, no deeds, James asks, well, why do you even do those things? Why do you even bother? It's worthless. But as James goes on to explain, the flip side of that is actually that if you are a person who, hack, who acts, you will be blessed in what you do. He goes on to say this, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. James, he's been talking about God's word as the word in the verses that we've read so far. And then he changes it up here and he refers to God's word as the perfect law that gives freedom. And so James's audience, they would have been familiar with Jesus' teaching on the Torah. They would have understood the Torah as being the law. And they would have in particular been familiar with how Jesus summarized the law as being love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's Matthew 22, 34 to 40. That's what Jesus' audience would have been thinking of when they heard him mention the perfect law. And James here is saying that this law that Jesus taught is both perfect and it gives you freedom. And I like this a lot because it's almost this attention-grabbing uh, statement because normally we think of a law as restricting freedom. And by definition, it's exactly what laws do, right? The speed limit, for example, it limits your freedom to drive as fast as you want. Laws against stealing restrict you from taking other people's stuff. And... That's what laws are. They restrict your freedom. But James is pointing out something really important here. He's saying God's law is different. You know, it's this paradoxical kind of law that rather than restricting our freedom, it actually gives us freedom. It gives us freedom from sin and it gives us freedom to know the truth. And because of those two things, it also gives us freedom to become our true selves the best version of ourselves is revealed when we're set free from sin, when we're set free to know the truth. We become the best version of ourselves. And as James says here, by looking intently into that perfect law that commands us to love God and to love other people, and then doing it, we not only gain that freedom, but we also receive a blessing. And as we listen to God's word, and then act on it, we're going to experience the blessings of God. How awesome is that? And I can speak from first-hand experience. There have been times in my life where I've read something in the Word of God and it would scare me. Yeah, I'd struggle with it. I'd be thinking, oh man, I really <laughs> seem, seems like God is calling me to do this, but I really don't want to do it. You know, in my flesh I'm thinking, this is going to be hard. This is going to require sacrifice. And I think of how Sarah and I started the impact team at our last church. 
actually, we did this Bible study, which really convicted us that we should be a practical outworking of God's love. We read verses like 1 John 3.18 that says, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And we were so motivated to do something that we, we started this team and it was a, a team that essentially was there to support people who had fallen on hard times. We'd go mow people's lawn, we'd, we'd cook them meals, we'd buy things for them that they needed. And when we were establishing that, you know, I was really thinking, this is going to be hard. This is going to require sacrifice. And you know what it did? It required a sacrifice of our time, of our money. But when we did those things, I can say that those were some of the most blessed times in my life where I go, okay, I get it. I get it. You know, why did I even hesitate? You know, that's the point James is making here. He's saying, actually, it's a blessing to do God's will. To hear God's word and then to act on it is a blessing. And so James then goes from talking about blessings and then finishes off this chapter with these words. He says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Being religious in the sense that James is talking about here refers to people who simply observe the, Christ, uh, the practices of Christianity. So James is writing this letter to religious people, uh, people who would say that they follow Jesus, that they obey the law, to love God and to love other people. And the same goes for us today. You know, if you're a person who observes the practices of Christianity, if you love God and you love other people, then you are a religious person too. And so to these people who call themselves followers of Jesus, he says, do you want to know what pure religion is? It's not this fake stuff where in your head you think you're more enlightened than everyone else. He says, do you want to know what's pure and faultless in the sight of God? God would love it if you went and cared for the widows and the orphans in their distress. In other words, God would love it if you would care for the most vulnerable and unloved people in society. God would love it if we would actually consider that there are people in the world today being trafficked and sold into slavery. That's a pretty heavy topic to talk about. There's an organisation called A21 that estimates there are around 40 million people enslaved in the world today. And that just breaks my heart. You know, this means actually that there are more people enslaved today than at any other time in history. God would love it if we would actually consider that there are children living in extreme poverty. Another organisation, Compassion, they estimate that 385 million children live in extreme poverty. This means that they don't have access to education. Some of them don't have clean water. Some of them are actually starving to death. You know, so James is saying here, maybe true religion is not talking so much. You know, maybe... Actually, it's controlling our spending so that we can give more to those people who are in need. Maybe it's sponsoring a child. 
maybe it's becoming an advocate for some of these social justice issues, caring for that single mother. And in addition to looking after widows and orphans in their distress, James says to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. And when you start to consider giving more of your time, giving more of your money to these things that God is calling you to do, the world, I can guarantee, is going to start bombarding you with these messages of you deserve it. You owe it to yourself. Treat yourself. You know, God will be okay if you do this. Just look out for you. Look out for number one. That's worldly thinking. And the Bible says, keep yourself from being polluted by that. Don't budge. Don't budge. If you know that God's word is here, it doesn't matter how crooked the world gets. If the world is all the way out here, it's not okay to be halfway between the two. You know, God's word says don't budge. Stay here with God's word. And that's what James is saying here. He's saying that true religion is not budging from that. Don't get influenced by the world around you. Here we go. So just as a, a way of summary, those verses sort of come together and they paint this picture of James writing this letter to religious people, people who know God's law, people who are just like us. But James keeps pushing them and us to take the next step. He's saying, don't just hear it, do it. You know, the people James was writing to, they would have been facing their own trials and temptations. You know, they're battling with their own stresses, their own fears and their desires. And James says, slow down, take things in, don't express yourself so quickly. Don't let those things around you drive you to act impulsively and with anger. And so what he's saying instead is, hear God's word. Let it implant itself in you. And then once it's had time to grow, act on it. Don't deceive yourself by thinking that what's written in, knowing what's written in the Bible makes you a godly person. Don't do Satan's job for him. Because if you do, you're like the person who forgets what they look like. And if that's the case, what's the point of even looking in a mirror at all? It's worthless. Instead, act on God's word, knowing that when you do, you will be blessed. Be true followers of Jesus by caring for the most vulnerable and disadvantaged people in this world. Reject the immorality of the culture around you be careful about your own anger and pride and let your faith show up in your actions. And so in these few passages that we've read, it's really giving us cause for reflection. We need to ask ourselves some hard questions. Do we listen more than we speak? Are we careful about what we say? Do we keep our anger in check? Do we let God's implanted word grow within us? And do we put into practice what we hear in God's word? It's asking us, what's the next step for you? you know, what issues is the book of James calling you to confront? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this time this morning, this time that we have to come together and reflect on your word. Lord, I'd ask that with the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would work within us 
that you would remove the things inside of us that are not from you, Lord. I pray that you would help renew us and make us a people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Lord, I pray that we are a people who have a pure religion, a people, Lord, who are motivated to not just hear your word and be satisfied with it, but to take action. And I pray, Lord, that even though it is hard, even though it does require sacrifice, that, Lord, you would remind us every time that with that action comes a blessing. And, Lord, you are with us through it the whole way. And we thank you for that, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.